It's our mission to give IT pros a break. So, here it is. Wish it was longer, but to keep saving IT pros time and money, we only paid for a 30-second ad. From racks and PDUs to backup power, Eaton and Triplite have joined forces to bring more sanity to your day every day. Visit eaton.com slash audio today. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, world. Welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from our massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it is Aaron for Cloud News of the Week. And here in the United States, the New Year's behind us, the holidays are behind us, and we're starting to settle in. And we have a really good look ahead show again this week. So Looking forward to that after we get to the news. Let's jump into a few articles. We see things starting to pick up now. Number one, the CNCF got a new project, a sandbox status project. CNCF accepts CubeScape as its inaugural open source security scanner. And so this comes from the folks over at Armo. And um, it's really an interesting read of where they're going with a project like this. Uh, What they can uh, be able to do with this project, it can handle misconfigurations inside manifest files like YAML, it can do Helm and and basically throughout CICD uh, pipelines and inside the clusters themselves. It also scans for uh, CVEs uh, in the container image registries and could be Docker, it could be Quay, ECR, etc. So it'll be really good to see how this gets adopted and how it proceeds forward uh, and really helps folks in the DevOps and, and DevSecOps space going forward. With that, I'm going to move on to article number two. Article number two is from Azure. And we recently did our look ahead show on AI trends. And we talked pretty heavily about open AI project and large language models and, and chat GPT in particular. And while it's not necessarily something we're going to talk about all the time. I felt like this, this general availability of Azure OpenAI service was worth talking about because it surprised me slightly. Um, I knew that they were working together and they've always been working together, this ongoing partnership between OpenAI uh, and Azure. Uh, but I didn't know the depth of it and how far back this has gone. You know, I, I admit for me personally, when I think about AI related services, I tend to think about Google and GCP, but Azure really has made a lot of progress there throughout the years. And it's a good read, good read into what they're doing now, as well as in the future and a historical look. Uh, and they've been going back, oh gosh, I don't know, uh, six, seven years almost uh, to what they've been doing with AI in this space. So definitely take a look at that. And moving on to our last one, last one, I found this one really interesting. This one was over on the AWS Marketplace blog. And it's the most viewed AWS Marketplace blog post of 2022. So this is the market, Marketplace blog. So this is, think about folks that that are putting things in the marketplace. They're trying to make money off of this. They're trying to get into the AWS ecosystem. So this is from their standpoint 
Um, top 10 tech tutorials, five of the 10 were all about multi-account management. And um, it was really interesting that so many of these are talking about security and identity management. I mean, it's an ongoing trend with the AWS in general, I feel. And then, of course, there's the top tutorials for sellers and the top announcement blogs and the top verticals post. It was interesting to see what is truly top of mind and where the marketplace producers are actually thinking. Uh, so with that, I'm going to close out Cloud News this week. Coming up right after the break, we have returning guest Neil, and we're going to be talking about venture capital funding and a look ahead into 2023. Datadog is a SaaS cloud monitoring and security platform that enables full stack observability for modern infrastructure and applications at any scale. Providing teams dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, infrastructure monitoring, UX monitoring, security monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform, plus 450 plus out-of-the-box integrations with technologies including cloud providers, databases, and web servers. Aggregate all your data into one platform for seamless correlation, enabling teams to troubleshoot and collaborate together in one place, preventing downtime and enhancing performance and reliability. Get started with a free 14-day trial by visiting datadog.com cloudcast. That's datadog.com slash cloudcast. And we're back. And folks, if, uh, you know, if, if nothing else, if you listen to the show for a little while, one of the, one of the mantras that we always talk about, if, if we're not talking about some sort of technology, it's, it's follow the money. And this year is, is I think, going to be a little different. Aaron, I, you know, it's, it's good to be kicking off another look-ahead show. Uh, you know, these, these have been great. They're always fun to, to kick off January. But uh, this will be the first one we really sort of do the uh, follow-the-money look-ahead show. Yep. Yep. And it's really, I, I would encourage everyone as well. It's in the show notes, but it's a follow-up to last year's look ahead show on this. So you can almost think of this as part two in follow the money. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that we we're very fortunate uh, is to have a bunch of friends in the industry who not only are, uh, you know, inventing very, very cool technology. And in some cases, um, you know, they're also, uh, you know, very involved with both the uh, sort of future direction of what things are going, but also, Helping to enable that, and and helping to enable that often means uh, you know being part of, of you know where the finances come from with things, and so really really excited to have longtime friend of the show, uh, longtime guest of the show, uh, you know Twitter artist, uh, coffee artist, if you will, and uh, investor at Crane VC, our friend Anil Akani. Anil, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me again. Great to have you back on, man. So, um, so if folks have listened for a while, uh, they are familiar with your voice. Uh, they are familiar with uh, your Twitter feed. But if anybody's new to the show, or you know they're new this year, give us just a little bit of of, of background. Uh, you don't have to go back too too far, but um, you know what are you what are you up to these days? Sure. So uh, I'm Anil. I'm an investor. I do early stage venture capital at a firm called Crane out of London. Although I myself am based in New York, I've been in tech for. 27, 28 years now, started my career in engineering and did a bunch of stuff between there and here. Nice, 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 nice. And, and Neil, uh, Neil and I have been, we've been colleagues. We were colleagues when, uh, when you were dabbling in, uh, in marketing. So we've, you've, you've seen all sides of this, uh, this big beast that we live in. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Yep. So, so Neil, um, I mean, we really, we covered a lot of VC basics, uh, in last year's show, a lot of like, what is a VC and how do you think about it and what's day to day? And so I don't, I didn't necessarily want to rehash 
uh, a lot of those. But again, link in the show notes for those that missed it from last year. But we still get just a ton of questions um, around VC funding and VCs in general. And so kind of give everyone the elevator pitch version, if you will, for those uh, new to the show. Like, what do you do day to day? Um, and also, if you could, just go into a little bit about uh, Crane for just a second of why is Crane different from some of the traditional, say, Sand Hill Road VCs? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll start with the what I do day to day because it's it's not honestly as interesting or as you know, like cool as people seem to think it is. It's, it's not just a, I, it's a crystal ball. It is not a crystal ball. Mostly I spend my day talking to just a lot of people all the time. So that, so that means talking to people who want to raise money for a startup or have an idea, talking to people who want to invest in startups alongside crane or that we want investing alongside us talking to people who can help me validate whether an idea is good, whether a product is good, whether a technical approach to something is good. And and those can be practicing engineers. Those can be customers of competing products. It could be anyone. And, and all day is just trying to figure out if, if, the, if the idea or the proposition or the startup or the founders that the firm is looking to invest in, are going to be a good investment. And it's just, just getting more and more certainty on that. And you can't ever be absolutely certain, but you get as close as you can, and then you have to make a decision because usually time forces you to make a decision or competition forces you to make a decision. And that's just what you do all day, every day. And you're just operating in, you know, in this mode of, well, I've got this much money. I just I can only spend it on so many things. I got to figure out the right people or the places to put the money so that it will turn into more money so I get to keep doing my job. Yeah, and I got to I got to imagine a lot of it is is you're not only doing that all day long um and and as soon as you you go to to you know to to write a check to close a deal to whatever uh you know your your priorities may change that next that next shiny thing comes along and it's all of a sudden you're like oh you know what am I you know like it, it's it's got to be sort of this this yin and yang all the time of sort of I don't want to say like buyer's remorse but just like you you can only make the decisions based on the data that you have and the, the rest of us idiots who, you know, kind of see the headlines and stuff are like, Oh, you should have seen this thing or you should have known this was coming. It's, it's gotta be sort of an interesting kind of yin and yang each day of like, yeah. I, I have to be totally committed, but yet you're watching headlines just like the rest of us. Yeah. And, and you, and you never actually, you can't know everything. You never actually right. know. And, and it's not, and it's just not just the startup, right? It's not just the startup you're looking at. It's also, what is the likelihood that, that, that even if this startup is right, that the the market they're in will exist in five years or ten years and won't be destroyed or undercut by some advance in technology that we don't see, or that the macro conditions and interest rates won't change and make buyers flinch about spending money on a new risky product, or any number of other things that have nothing to do with just the company itself or just the founders themselves that end up being factors in the decision that you cannot predict and will never be able to predict. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, as, as Aaron and I were, were, were talking about this and, and we were kind of doing various prep stuff for, for the questions and for the show, we, I think we kind of came back to this, like, uh, yeah, the, the world has changed. I mean, it feels like, you know, the world's obviously changed a lot in the last three years because of the pandemic, but just, economically the world's changed a lot in the last six months, you know, because of interest rates, because of people's, you know, uh, inherent biases about what things mean. Like, 
how do you how do you guys think about that? Like this is this is really kind of the first time in ten years or so when when the the market for investing wasn't yeah, I don't want to say like it was wasn't easy, but it it didn't feel like there was like big headwinds. How how do you guys go into it when things change? Like how does your thought process change when things like this change? That's such a good question. I I can't answer for we because sure. I don't know, but I can answer for me. Um, I definitely can't answer for for venture capital as a whole because there's no such thing. It's just it's just right. a bunch of people, and and they have very 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 different styles. Not just from firm to firm, but from individual investor to individual investor within the firm. You'll see people make decisions and behave in wildly different ways because they care more or less about different factors in the world. And so there, there is no, like you end up with some consistent behavior over time that you can look backwards and go, Oh yeah, this is what, this is what VC was doing in general last quarter. But in real life day to day, that is not at all how it works. Um, so for me specifically, there, there, there are two maybe three kinds of things happening that are dramatic that are dramatically shifting sands underneath my feet and i say this as someone who's new to doing this i've only been doing this for a bit over a year now full time <clears throat> and the and these handful of things are the, the biggest one of course is the change in interest rates which I, I don't i don't know why people don't care more about but they should really care more about in in the world of startups um like we're starting to see its impact at the late stages. Um, what is it? Uh, Sneak just did a $196.5 million round at a $7.5 billion valuation. Uh, the last one was a $530 million round, of which really only $300 million was primary capital, meaning capital that the, or meaning equity that the company sold versus secondary, meaning existing equity holders selling their own shares. So let's call it $300 million was done at an $8.5 billion valuation. That, of course, is what we would call a down round. Their valuation went down. Same thing happened at um, the Taiku, Data IQ. I actually don't know how to say the name of that company. They did $200 million at a $2.7 billion valuation. The last round was $400 million at a $4.6 billion valuation. That would seem a much bigger fall. We're only beginning to see this, right? We, we're, we're seeing estimates for... Um, revenue and earnings and valuations for public software companies come down a fair amount, like more than half of the, let's call it top, uh, top 10% of public software companies are seeing all those numbers come down or all the estimates come down for 2023. We're starting to see it happen in late stage private companies that are not public yet, like Sneak. That, that this set of facts is just that how a software company is valued is being reconsidered in a higher interest rate environment and in, in a different economic environment that eventually pushes its way upstream through all of startups and the whole startup ecosystem. If money is more expensive to come by, then people and you can you can get great returns on effectively investments that have no risk like treasuries right compared to startups that are all risk all the time where the vast majority of them fail right like 90 plus percent of all startups fail 
Right. These are the facts. Then, then people are going to be less inclined to put their money into startups, which means the bar for investing in a startup goes up, and the value and the, the bar for high valuations goes up, and that eventually that means that you know I'm not going to want as an early stage investor to invest in something that's an incremental improvement, right? Like I'm not going to want to invest in yet another like improve like minor improvement in how kubernetes is deployed or operates because there's more than a hundred of them <clears throat> i don't need i don't need to invest in the hundred and first that's incremental that's not like a game changer right so all these all these companies that are that are like incremental improvements on how something works that don't dramatically change how something works and, and don't give you like an obvious five or ten or twenty five x reduce costs, increase revenue, leverage on your existing staff or something become harder and harder to justify investing in. And if, if that's true, then, then those things become uh, subject to ceasing to exist. Right. And we've got a, we've got lots, not, and I just picked on Kubernetes because I like to pick on Kubernetes, but, but there, there are lots of other spaces where that's true, where, where we've got, you know, 25, 50 plus startups that all do effectively undis indistinguished things from each other that are incremental improvements in some domain. Those things are going to run out of oxygen. So, and, and all of this starts at the fact that it, there's an interest rate change and pushes back up through the whole ecosystem. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah. It, Aaron, it almost sounds like Anil listened to our uh, our KubeCon uh, review <laughs> when we talked about every every sector had twelve companies in it. Yeah. Well, and and yeah, you look at like you know the 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 famous or infamous you know CNCF landscape you know thing, right? Which is like a NASCAR NASCAR logo slide at so small, like you got to zoom in, like it is. It, yeah, it's insane, and it makes perfect sense, right? What you're saying, and I liked you you you. Uh, Casually worded as, um, you know, subject to ceasing to exist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I guess maybe too, like there's this trend and sometimes we, you know, we used to think at startups uh, as a shorter term, right? Like a round, B round, C round, go for IPO, maybe take a D round. Now you've got like sneak was what, like a G or H or J or I don't know what the hell it was. You know, it's like, but you see a lot of companies taking more and more money and going longer and longer rounds. And so there was almost this like short-term versus long-term view. And we kind of go back to like consumer investments and, and personal investments. And, and the advisors always kind of say, hey, take a long view of everything, right? Because horizons with a longer horizon, you have more, you know, a longer term. And, but at the end of the day, if I'm getting this correctly, like VCs do tend to take round to round viewpoints, um, or do they take longer term, right? Like, yeah, is, this is, this is a, this is, this is, this is a somewhat complicated and I'll, I'll try to do as good a job as I can in explaining this. Uh, so again, there's there's no such thing as like what the industry as a whole does, right? If you if you look at people who invest in later stage private companies, sometimes they'll have a short term view, sometimes they'll have a long term view. They they can make a lot of money on a short term view because 
you know, they buy in the late stage, the company IPOs, they sell, they make a quick 50%, 100%, 500%, whatever. And, and it's, you know, everyone's very happy there. Uh, but sometimes those investors will hold for 10 years, 20 years, whatever. And the same is true all the way down the stack. The earlier stage an investor is, for instance, what we do at Crane, um, we are we are forced to have, to some degree, a long-term view, even even though if the next round of a company I invest in is is higher and it's it's a good price and a good valuation and it goes up by a big number, I'm happy. Everyone's happy. The people who invest in Crane are happy and are more likely to continue investing in Crane, but. But we don't, the number that, those are like interim numbers, right? The numbers that we actually put up and get measured against are on the final numbers, like the actual cash we make when the companies that we invest in go public or acquired and have exits. And that cash gets returned to our investors and that cash should be a multiple of the money they gave us or else we haven't done our jobs well. So the earlier you go as an investor, the the longer your time horizon theoretically should be, although some people don't behave that way. But but for like for for me, any investment that I make, I five years is the minimum in my head of the time horizon. And I'm expecting more like 10. Because it's actually on average 10. There there have been some periods in time when you've seen a lot of exits in sub five years. Those were aberrations. Generally speaking, at seven to 10 years or more before an exit, which means you have to invest for the long term, which is also what makes my job incredibly challenging because you don't, you don't know shit about what's going to happen next year, much rather 10 years from now. <laughs> yeah. well, <clears throat> quick follow-up on that, Anil. Um, so, you know, cause again, I've, I've been involved with startups, Brian's been involved with startups and yeah, we, we historically have thought about an exit means, means an IPO and or company is acquired. But for, in the VC world, there is almost like a third, quote unquote, exit, like you were talking about with Sneak of like a late yes, round buys right. out an early round. But I mean, that's it doesn't right. affect yes. the employees, but it affects the VCs, correct? That's right. I, well, no, sometimes it affects employees. There, there are, there's been a small trend of, of later stage startups giving employees liquidity, which basically means letting employees who've exercised their options and bought their shares sell those shares in future financing rounds up to a certain percentage. So whatever, you know, like different companies have different policies about this. But generally speaking, you're right. It's not employees who get those chances. It's early investors who get those chances. And that is, that is a means of exiting your investment before the company exits by virtue of having an IPO or being acquired. That that's You can't, you can't, that's not a thing one counts on because it's, that's a, something that would happen on a case by case basis, and it tends to only happen at the at huge dollar amounts and values, like like what we talked about with Sneak, where they did do secondary in their previous round. Um, it tends not to happen anywhere within the lifespan of an investment that I'm involved in. <laughs> Fair. I, I'm curious. So, so you you know you sort of talked about. Uh, you know, you, you don't want to be involved with the, you know, the 25th backup company, email company, Kubernetes company. Um, you know, there was, there was a certain amount of that during, uh, you know, this, this last boom where, you know, the market would sort of be evolving. It felt like there was a bunch. And then, you know, sometimes there would be like, well, but the market hasn't really evolved. And, and this, this new team, you know, may have a chance to sort of figure it out. I, 
I'm curious how you how you think your mind might shift if you're now thinking about five x, ten x, twenty five x things. You know, things that are better by those sort of multiples. Like, how do you shift yeah. your thinking? Because you're going to be seeing a lot of stuff that you're going to be like, I don't know that I can wrap my head around this yet. Um, yeah, it's um, so. This is something I, I can talk about for for Crane as a firm because we do have an explicit way of of dealing with this or, or thinking about this at the firm level. I mean, I say firm, we're like, like five investors. So it's not yes. really a big thing here. Um, but it, it is that we, we kind of make ourselves constantly raise the bar on, on all dimensions of an investment. So, so you like, I'm not going to do an investment if it doesn't, in general, look better than my last investment. Every investment has to look better than my last investment on all dimensions. And that's that's just what we try to do, right? So we, we kind of force ourselves. You can't always hit that mark, but you force yourself to constantly raise the bar. So that's one way of dealing with it. But uh, another way of dealing with it is is that um, it's explicit. We, we are looking for things that can be game changers. Are we always going to be successful? Of course not. But but like when I describe what I want to invest in to people, I say, I want to invest in things that will become critical infrastructure for the next way of doing something, right? So for the next way of, of managing a particular supply chain, for the next way that uh, developers build backend applications, for the next way of whatever, right? So we're, I'm looking for things that become almost foundational to how people do something or build something. And, and that's, that's one way of taking this approach because, because those things often are hard to wrap your heads around because sometimes it's like, Oh, this is, this is how people who are just starting to build software who are teenagers will be doing things 10 plus years from now when they're professionals. You have no idea. No one. I am. No yeah. one has any idea. But it's it's sufficiently like interesting that that you try to you try to wrap your head around it. And sometimes you know, sometimes you're right, and most of the time you're not. Does yeah. um does analysis paralysis ever kind of kick in? Then I imagine this is like you know what you're explaining to me. It seems like a certain personality type has to do <laughs> this job, right? Um, <laughs> you know, I I actually don't know the answer to that because. Well, the thing about certain personality types, because because VC is full of all kinds of, you know, there there are VCs who invest purely on the basis of whether or not they like somebody, right? They're like, sure. my gut is so good that I can look at a founder, I can ha I can spend an hour or two hours or ten hours with a founder, and I'm and I don't care what they're doing, I don't care about them, I don't care about anything. I'm just going to invest in that human being, and 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 then there are people like me who are like overly analytical and are like, no, I care about the market and the product and and also the founders and also the, the macro dynamics that impact that space that we know about or don't know about. But I also care about like the, the 10 other things that that budget holder has on their mind, the customer that are their priorities. And maybe I also care about, well, this is a good way to solve this problem, but is there an okay way to solve that problem that costs half as much that already exists? And I, I am the analysis paralysis guy, right? So, <laughs> so th there, there, there is that possibility, but Fortunately, time forces your hand, right? 
either either the company needs to raise money, and if I don't give them money, someone else will, or um, or they're or they already they're there. You know, there's there's some combination of time and competition will always force my hand, so I can't do the analysis forever. Fair. Yeah. I, you mentioned uh, you mentioned that you know yeah we're seeing obviously tightening of of uh, you know of money flowing into new deals so people are trying to refinance that's you know or, or you know do new rounds that that's trickier but you also mentioned that like <clears throat> you know public uh, public companies you know companies who may be acquirers of of some of these startups may be having you know tougher 2023s than than they did in the past do you do you think do you guys feel like they they still have big enough cash reserves and, and may look at some of these companies that are you know potentially taking a down round and they look at it and they go oh, okay maybe maybe prices of acquisitions are a little more reasonable or do you, do you think they're going to look at their own business and go like hmm I, I better keep more dry like do you get a sense like they're going to keep more dry powder for when things get better I don't know do you, do you get any any sense of like are we going to see a lot of acquisitions or is it going to kind of wait and see I think. Purely based on what I am seeing, I'll speak only for myself, that we are going to see a lot of acquisitions, but it's not going to feel like a lot of acquisitions because they're going to the number of failures are going to outstrip the number of acquisitions by a by a large multiple. So it won't feel like there are a lot of acquisitions, but we're going to see a lot of acquisitions where you have someone who has a large balance sheet. Who looks who looks at a particular space and goes, oh, my product in this space is mediocre, or I don't, or I don't have this these four features and capabilities, and it's going to take me too long to build them. Here's a team that's already built it, and I think it's going to be easy to integrate, and I know I can get it on the cheap because they're not going to raise at a huge valuation anymore an up round, and I and I didn't want to spend the money on it last year or the year before because it was too expensive. But that same exact thing right now is super affordable, so I will make that acquisition while the market is bad and stays bad and I will be strategic about it and I'll go through and fill out chunks of my portfolio where I'm having a hard time building those things or I would just like to move faster. And we're going to see a lot of that. We've already started to see it. We're going to see a lot of it. Yeah. makes perfect sense. Well, let's move on to like a, a macro level and, uh, but at the same time, interesting to Anil. Um, what's interesting to Anil? We asked you this question last year. What's interesting to Anil in 2023? Like, what are you researching? Where are you spending your time? What are you looking into? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I don't actually remember what I said last year. I should have, I should have, <laughs> yeah, I should have yeah, gone, gone back. back. I, didn't, I didn't either. We should have gone back and said it. what you were. <laughs> I, well, actually, I remember one thing I said last year, which was I, I very reticently said, let's talk about blockchains. Um, and my contention last year was, even though I I am skeptical of the whole space, I am not skeptical of the demand for things that people are doing with blockchains like cross border payments. So there, and and I still think that's true. I think that demand has not gone away because that demand was unlocked. Uh, and last year I said I don't know that that doing some blockchain or crypto thing is the right way to solve those problems. But but you know when you've got a hammer and things are nail. Um, but that demand still exists and it's not going away. And the handful of places where web three is useful are, are persisting and will persist. And a handful of places where you can get the same thing done a different way. People are going to find different ways to do those things. And, 
And it would be an interesting exercise to parse those out and go see who, who's so, trying to solve a payments problem that looked like it had to be solved on the on a blockchain but can be solved a different way. Because uh, that's probably, those are probably billion dollar businesses. That's one thing. Uh, another another thing is this I, I get I'm super annoyed by generative AI not because it's it's not powerful it's extremely powerful but because I want simpler problems to be solved like like I just I just want autocorrect that's better and the same people who are doing generative AI could actually give me autocorrect that's better but they're not going to do it instead what they're going to do is give me a thing that does all the writing for me so that I don't need to be autocorrected. That doesn't solve the actual problem I have. It solves a different problem for a different kind of person. Um, so there's, so there's, I, there's, I, there's I no money. In, there's no there's no money in duck off. There's no money in oh fixing duck off. <laughs> but, but I mean, there could be. <laughs> yeah. No. I, you're right. It's it. It does. It does. Uh, it is. It is potentially a big thing. But you're right. There are millions of little things under the covers. Yeah. I. I am. I am super interested in in how generative AI thinks changes our thinking about how we do things, right? Um, uh, one of the things that bothers me about generative AI is that instead of solving underlying social or economic problems, like um, we can't we can't seem to figure out how to educate enough people on earth to build software. So we're going to make tools so that we don't have to teach people how to program things that just do most of the programming for you. And, and that's true across any number of domains where instead of solving the underlying problem, we're just, we're just doing this, right? We're like actually decreasing the need for humans to do specific things. Uh, on the flip side, the impacts are kind of fascinating. Like, maybe search becomes dramatically less important if instead of searching for something, you talk to a bot that tells you the answer, right? And for a long time, search has sort of been moving in this direction. But if I don't have to search for a thing and I just talk to a bot that gives me the answer, where's the ad revenue going to come from? Yeah, well, it also it also sort of feels a little bit like... Uh like you know what what we've seen with other manufacturing things do we do we hollow out you know a good chunk of the the software development uh, industry because we you know we basically go oh we don't we don't have to teach those people those things anymore yeah over over long periods of time yeah and you know they're all kind of uh, yeah other ramifications scenarios around this none yeah. of, I mean none of which we know anything about but so 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 I all of this is me complaining in a way to say that I think generative AI is super interesting. It's going to have a lot of use cases that we haven't even imagined yet, and it will transform more than one domain that we operate in. Yeah, I want to. I want to ask you a question. You, you know, you've been doing this. You've been doing this full time for a year. You, you were, you were doing investing, you know, somewhat previously, but, but you've, you've been an engineer. You've been a product person. As you get more into the into the business, um, how how much how much do you have a, a desire to be, you know, to, to kind of help guide your companies? Do you, you know, how do you give them feedback? Do they want feedback? Like what's, what's the relationship uh, that, that you have with your companies and like, sure. 
how, how much are you like, Oh, I'd like to, you know, like I'd like to kind of scratch an old itch and, and be involved with some things. A hundred percent of the time I'm like <laughs> that. And a hundred percent of the time it would be the wrong thing for me to do. So I don't do it um, because that's not my job. Also yeah. the, the founders are the bosses of their companies, not me. I'm not even the boss of the founders. I'm, I'm just someone who gave them some money and, and try to help as best I can whenever I can. Uh, this does lead me to answer a question earlier that I sort of ignored from, uh, from Aaron. So what makes Crane interesting or distinct is that we're highly specialized. We only invest in a handful of spaces. So things that we think of as, as like I said, that can become critical infrastructure for building software and, and, and like sometimes we'll do stuff in payments infrastructure, supply chain infrastructure, and that's about it. So we do a lot of open source stuff, a lot of developer infrastructure, machine learning platforms, data products, that kind of thing. And we don't do anything else. And we invest at the, at the super early stages, pre-seed and seed. We, and we, you know, we don't do like A rounds or stuff like that. So we, we are highly inclined to help as much as humanly possible at everything. And we do, we, you know, we, because I have, I have a background in product and marketing and engineering, I tend to help with all of these things, especially, you know, as companies are trying to solve a complicated or thorny problem, or they're trying to figure out what their, what their ICP is, their ideal customer profile, or they're trying to figure out what their funnel should look like, or they're trying to figure out a marketing strategy. And, and a lot of it is just, it's, it's a combination of how much help they want from us, because, because I, you know, we will go super deep sometimes because this is this is what we do. This is how we help, and um, and other times they don't they don't need us and or want us. And you know, it's like it's not my job to force myself into you know what a founder is trying to do. It's just my job to help. So so it's different situation to situation. Sometimes it's like very deep where I'm in a constant text back and forth with the founder as they're going through dealing with an enterprise sale because they haven't done it before. And so I'm helping them figure out how that works and navigate the waters of a complex six month sales cycle. And, and other times it's, it's stuff that, Oh, someone said such and such in a contract negotiation. How would I, how, how would you respond to that? I'm like, well, I would either say A, B or C. And then that's it. They go off and do their thing. Um, but yeah, it, it totally varies from company to company. Good stuff. Well, Aaron, I think we may want to wrap it up there. I, I uh, we can, we could probably go into a whole lot of things with Anil. Anil, uh, one, I guess one last thing, if anybody's coming by uh, New York city, you are a, a notorious, uh, notoriously uh, well diverse foodie. Uh, <laughs> lots of, lots of tastes and different things. But if somebody's coming into the city, into Brooklyn, anywhere, what are uh, maybe, what are a couple of places that, uh, are are on your your top of the list of you know either places where you're where you're where you'll take friends or just new places that you've heard are great. Oh man, what I could go on for days, days, <laughs> a whole other podcast, days, a whole other podcast right now. I I will give I will give uh, I will give two shout outs to my favorite neighborhood places right now. How about that? Great. So. Um, so I live in a neighborhood called the Navy Yard, which is adjacent to another neighborhood called Fort Greene. My two favorite places right now is a place called La Rina, L-A-R-I-N-A, which is an Italian joint that makes their own fresh pasta in-house, and their pasta is excellent. And my other favorite place right now is a wine bar called Rodora, R-H-O-D-O-R-A, which is just very pleasant. It's, it's all of the fantastic 
parts of like a wine bar minus all of the pretension of you know like a wine bar (laughs) (laughs) that's perfect that is perfect well good stuff well listen uh neil as always uh great to catch up with you we need to uh we need to do this more frequently hopefully somewhere live somehow um oh yeah that would be awesome and uh but uh you know Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to uh, to you and your family and, and folks. Uh, you know, Aaron, you want to wrap it up and take us home? Yeah, absolutely. So, first of all, Anil, thank you so much for your time. This is this is fantastic. For, of course, thank you both for having me. Absolutely, and for everyone out there listening, um, thank you uh, again for listening and and helping us continue to grow the show and, and reach more folks. Um, if you enjoy the show, please. Tell a friend, please leave a review if where you get your podcast, you're allowed to leave a, leave a, some kind of review. Um, and for that, uh, on behalf of Brian and myself, thanks for listening this week, and we will talk to everyone next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 